You're listening to Off the Clock Sports. Off the Clock Sports. The weekly show where you'll hear the best insights on all the latest in sports. Here's your host, Brandon Cook. Brandon Cook. After a couple weeks of contemplating, it looks like Miguel Cabrera is going to return for another season in baseball in 2023. It was reported that Miguel Cabrera had not made up his mind about playing next season for the Detroit Tigers in 2023, that he was possibly contemplating not coming back, and that he's been battling some injuries. But this is a prime example of money talks, because in 2023, Miguel Cabrera enters the final season where he is set to earn $32 million from the Detroit Tigers. And then after that, in 2024 and 2025, there are two vesting options that would pay him $30 million in each of 2024 and 2025. But in order for those options to kick in, he must finish in top 10 in MVP voting. And at this stage of Miguel Cabrera, no disrespect to the future Hall of Famer, there's a very slim chance that that's going to happen, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that is guaranteed that will not happen. Miguel Cabrera will not be a top 10 MVP candidate next season. No disrespect to the future Hall of Famer. That's just not the type of player he is at this point in his career. But money talks. Money can buy, buy someone to show up. Money can purchase you and make you want to come to work no matter what. Miguel Cabrera is owed $32 million next season. There was no way he was going to walk away from that. Baseball is a business. This is a business decision. Business decisions happen every day in sports. You know right now if the Detroit Tigers could buy out their legend for $5 million next season instead of pay him $32 million, that they would absolutely do that no matter how much they love Miguel Cabrera, no matter how much they appreciate him. They would exercise their right and their option as a business move to buy him out for cheaper than they would have to pay him if he was to play. So Miguel Cabrera is obviously going to opt into this. He's going to take his $32 million that he's entitled to. And then the Tigers, instead of the vesting options becoming available, are going to exercise their right at the conclusion next season. And they're going to buy him out for $8 million that is in his contract. That's a business decision the Tigers have the right to do. And this is a business decision that Miguel Cabrera is making. He knows he's not a top player in baseball. He knows there's barely anything left in the tank. But $32 million is a lot of money. And for a guy like Miguel Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera doesn't need money. But why would he not come back? He has one more year, $32 million, that he's getting bought out for $8 million. He's going to play in 2023 at this level that he's currently playing at, which is not high and there's barely nothing left in that tank, he's going to earn $40 million between his salary and the Tigers buying him out and canceling out the vesting options for 24 and 25, and the future Hall of Famer will return to the Tigers for the 2023 season, and that will be his farewell tour before he takes his rightful place in Cooperstown, New York at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Shifting gears here to the National League Central, because the National League Central is a very interesting topic right now. The St. Louis Cardinals right now are arguably the hottest team in baseball after winning seven straight games 
on Sunday with a series sweep against the New York Yankees, which I never saw coming. The Yankees have obviously struggled the last couple weeks, have struggled after the trade deadline. We're going to talk about the Yankees in a little bit. But the St. Louis Cardinals take a two-game lead as I record this podcast over the Milwaukee Brewers who are really, really struggling. The Cards were a bit quiet at the deadline, but they did make one move, and that was acquiring Jordan Montgomery from the Yankees in exchange for Harrison Bader, which sent Bader to the Bronx. That seemed to be a good move for the Cardinals, adding to their pitching rotation, adding to their pitching depth. They're now on a seven-game win streak as I record this podcast, so when this podcast is released, that very well possibly has changed. But the Cardinals are hot right now. They're one of the hottest teams in baseball. They're playing some solid baseball. And the team they have now taken the NL Central from, the Milwaukee Brewers, are heading in the other direction. They're really struggling lately. And one of the reasons I think they're struggling is is the obvious. The trade of Josh Hader to this day and forever will never make sense to me. Josh Hader was arguably the most dominant relief pitcher in baseball. When that guy runs out to the mound, opposing hitters are scared shitless. That man has nasty stuff. He throws gas. He's electrifying, and he's hard to face. He's one of the best relievers in baseball, if not the best reliever in baseball. And a team that leads the NL Central decides to trade him to the Padres, a team they very well may have to face in the postseason. And if they're down a run or two in the ninth inning in a, in a series-clinching game, you bet your ass they're seeing Josh Hader on the other side. And I'm going to guess those players aren't too happy about that. I understand they got a good package in return. But in a playoff race, this is an offseason move. To trade Josh Hader to the Padres, a team you're going to have to face possibly later in September and October, to give him away, to not really make huge additions, and to subtract from your major league roster in a playoff race and let your arch rivals take over, the Brewers are heading in a direction, and I'm going to be quite honest with you, this trade will never make sense to me. There is nothing the Brewers could say right now that would convince me that this was a good move, that they made the right decision to trade Josh Hader. Josh Hader is a is a pitcher that every team in baseball would be dying to have. Had the Brewers publicly come out and said, this man is available, 29 general managers are calling the Brewers saying, what's this going to take? What do we have to do? How do we get this guy off your hands right now? That's the type of talent Josh Hader is. And with the Cardinals streaking, they're as hot as they come after winning seven in a row and after sweeping the best team, arguably, in baseball in the New York Yankees. They're rolling. They have all the confidence in the world. They believe they can beat any team. They believe they can win the World Series. And they are electric in St. Louis right now. In Milwaukee, I can't really say the same. Now, as we look at the NL wild card. We got the Phillies, we got the Braves, and we got the Padres right now. And the Brewers currently find themselves sitting out of the NL wildcard picture while the St. Louis Cardinals hold down the NL Central. And it gets worse for the Brewers because now they're they're trying to catch the Philadelphia Phillies. They're trying to catch the Atlanta Braves. They're trying to catch the San Diego Padres, who I love all three of those teams. And I'm very worried about the Brewers because I look at the Philadelphia Phillies. They added Noah Syndergaard at the deadline. They got a really deep lineup. They got good pitching in Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. And Kyle Gibson has been phenomenal for them this year. He has pitched very well. I have him on my fantasy team. And I've been very happy with Kyle Gibson on my fantasy team this year. 
The Philadelphia Phillies are no joke, and they're playing really good baseball, and ever since they let Joe Girardi go, which I thought at the time was a questionable move, seemed to absolutely be the correct move from Dave Dombrowski to make the managerial change. And this Phillies team find themselves in a playoff spot, and in about three to four weeks, they're going to add their MVP, Bryce Harper, back into their lineup, and they're going to look to push for the postseason. Then you look at the Atlanta Braves, who's a division rival of the Philadelphia Phillies. They're set for the next decade. They've made some really good signings. Ronald Acuna's on a team-friendly deal. Austin Riley just got a 10-year deal. The Braves are one of the best teams in baseball. They got Matt Olson on an 8-year deal. They got a deep lineup. They're deep on the mound. They got depth. They're well-coached. The Braves, if they weren't in the NL East, would probably be first place in a lot of divisions in baseball. They're that good of a team. They're that deep. The NL East is that strong. And then you look at the San Diego Padres. The Padres are stacked. The Padres are all in. And they got, they're the team that got Josh Hader. They're the team that got Juan Soto. They're going to activate Fernando Tatis Jr. from the IL in two or three weeks. And then they're going to look to push for October. They're going to make a push for the postseason. Those are teams that the Milwaukee Brewers are going to have to catch up on. Those are teams that the Brewers are looking up, trying to say, how the hell are we going to catch that team? How the hell are we going to pass these guys? They got the hottest team in baseball right now, the Cardinals, and they got three really good wild card teams that they're playing behind. The Brewers are looking up, and those wild card teams and the division leaders with the Dodgers, the Mets, and the Cardinals, that's a really tough National League, and the National League is very strong. And the National League playoffs are going to be a lot of fun to watch. There's a lot of good pitching, there's a lot of good hitters, there's some really good managers. The National League playoffs this year, I'm very excited for the National League playoffs this year. There's a lot of talent and a lot of good baseball to be played this coming October. But sticking with the National League for this last topic, the Mets and the Dodgers are the two best teams right now in the National League to me. I look at the Mets and Dodgers, New York and Los Angeles. This is an electrifying rivalry, I think, this coming season. This is going to be a big rivalry in the playoffs, and this is going to be a very hectic series should these two meet in the NLCS. If these two meet in the NLCS with the World Series, a trip to the World Series on the line, look out. This is Dodger Stadium and City Field are going to be bumping. Electric. It's going to be some exciting baseball. Maybe one of the best series we could ever possibly imagine. And the Mets are just getting Jacob DeGrom back. He's had a couple outings and he looks healthy. And he looked like he did not miss a beat. Edwin Diaz, like I spoke about Josh Hader earlier, Edwin Diaz is one of the best closers in baseball, if not the best closer in baseball. The Mets are rolling. The Mets are deep. They got deep pockets. The only thing I worry about with the Mets was I don't know if they did a ton at the deadline for me to consider them to be better than the LA Dodgers. I thought the Mets had a fairly quiet deadline for the season they're having. For the season the Mets are having, I thought they would have been all in. Dipped into the farm system, dipped into Steve Cohen's pockets, and I thought they would have just dumped all their chips into a pile and gone for it. Now, obviously, it's hard to make a Juan Soto trade in division, but why couldn't they have been in on Josh Hader? And then you have Josh Hader and Edwin Diaz, eighth and ninth inning. I just wonder if the Mets made enough enough moves this past offseason and if they've made enough moves throughout the season to go for it. I have no questions about pitching. I have no questions about Buck Showalter. I have no questions about a lot of their batters. I just wonder if they're deep enough to take out the Dodgers, who have Mookie Betts still as one of the top top players in baseball. They have great pitching. They have great defense. They can out-hit anyone. 
They're aggressive. They're well coached. The LA Dodgers have no weaknesses. And heading into October, they look like the World Series favorite out of the National League to me. And I think the Dodgers are going to be very tough to beat in October. And I think if you have to go to Dodger Fadium with that crowd, with that team, it's going to be a tough out. I'm going to be shocked if somebody's able to knock off the Dodgers, but that's the beauty of the trade deadline with some of these teams that have made moves is it's going to be very, very exciting come October to watch the Dodgers play. I'd like to shift now to the American League and look at the American League wildcard. I look at the American League wildcard, and there's some very good teams in there. The Blue Jays obviously hold down the number one spot. The Rays hold down a spot, and the Mariners hold down the third spot. Those are the three teams in the wild card right now. But I look at a team behind the Mariners that are only two games back as I record this podcast within three games of a wild card spot. That's the Baltimore Orioles, who I think are the most surprising team in baseball in 2022. I don't think there's a team in baseball that surprised me more than the Baltimore Orioles have. I looked at the Baltimore Orioles as another rebuilding year, as another painful year for their fan base, as another year where there was going to be a whole lot of nothing. You were going to see Adley Rutschman come up, the young catching prospect. You might have saw some prospects come up and play games here and there, be up and down between the MLB and AAA, and I just thought it'd be a year where they say, hey, look, this is what we have for the future. We're going to lose some games. We're going to get a high draft pick, but don't worry. Better days are coming in Baltimore. That's kind of what I envisioned for the Orioles this year was another rough year. But the Orioles find themselves within three games of a playoff spot right now. And I got the question has to be asked, why did they sell at the trade deadline? Like if the Baltimore Orioles were currently sitting here right now in this position looking to add Trey Mancini... And Jorge Lopez, who they dealt at the deadline, would be two players. I would say that's who the Baltimore Orioles should target. They should target a Trey Mancini. They should target a Jorge Lopez. They should have targeted like a Frankie Montaz. Those are the guys I'd be looking at saying that's who the Orioles should look to add to push for October. Now, they very well could get into October. But if they don't, if they fall one, two, three games short... The question has to be asked, what was the thinking behind trading Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez and looking to the future to add prospects, to add young depth when you had a shot at October, when you had a shot to play a wildcard game, when you had a shot to get a wildcard spot and potentially play in the postseason, which would have been great experience for some of the younger players and which would have been a huge stepping stone for the Orioles as they push forward to try and be better for now and for the future. The question, the, the move, the decision to trade Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez, if the Orioles are within a couple games of a playoff spot, will forever be questioned, and why did they do that? Now, last week when I had Troy on, we talked about the trade deadline. And the one topic that I spoke about and that I had a lot of knowledge on and that I was strong about was I was very disappointed in Ross Atkins and I was very disappointed in the Blue Jays front office for not going for it. We talk about George Springer and his age. We talk about some of those veteran players in Toronto that are getting older, have only so many years left at a high level, and I thought, the and with Vladdy and Bo not locked up to long-term deals, I'm in a position right now, until those two sign long-term deals, I would like to see the Jays go for it on a yearly basis. Because if those guys walk away in 2025, we're going to be looking down three, four years to the future as we look to rebuild and add young talent and hopefully make a push for 2028, 2029. But if you get Vladdy and Bo locked up, 
then I would forgive this deadline. However, the Jays are getting a big boost after the trade deadline. The one move that was questioned was Whit Merrifield from the Kansas City Royals. The move to acquire him from the Royals was questioned because he did not have his vaccine. When the Royals were in Toronto, Whit Merrifield did not make the trip because he was not vaccinated. He did, however, say that a move to a playoff team, a move to a contender could potentially change him and change his mind on getting the COVID-19 vaccine, and that seems to be the case. It's being reported that Whit Merrifield is vaccinated and he will join the team at Rogers Center at the next homestand, which I think is huge for the Blue Jays because George Springer just found himself on the IL. George Springer's going to need a lot of DH opportunities. Guys are going to want DH opportunities down the stretch like Vladdy, maybe like Bo, like Springer, like Teoscar. And Whit Merrifield is a player that can play all over the diamond. He can play just about any position in the infield and the outfield. So now that he has his COVID-19 vaccine, I love that move by the Jays' front office. But I'm still wondering, as the Jays are winning the majority of their games, while Vladdy is hot, while they're getting some good pitching, I wonder if the acquisition of just Anthony Bass and Zach Pott was enough for the Jays to contend in October, for the Jays to beat the Yankees, to beat the Astros, to beat some of those teams in the postseason that I think have better bullpens. I just wonder if the Jays are deep enough down the stretch to make a run. I'm still leaning that they're not, but we'll see who shows up in October. We'll see who shows up and who shines in the biggest moments because ultimately it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season. Legacies are built in the postseason, and legacies are built when you win championships and you contend year in and year out and you show up in the biggest moments in the playoffs. And we're going to see if the Jays have some of those types of players come October. Now, earlier I spoke about the Mets and the Dodgers, and those are my two favorites in the National League. If I had to pick two teams that are going to be in the NLCS right now, the Mets and the Dodgers are my two favorites. Somebody is going to have to go to City Field, and somebody's going to have to go to Dodger Stadium and knock off one of those two teams to prevent that NLCS matchup. The same for me is to be said about the American League. Somebody is going to have to go to Minute Maid Park in Houston, and somebody's going to have to go to Yankee Stadium in New York and knock off the Astros or the Yankees. Because those are my two teams in the AL that I'm saying someone's going to have to really knock one of these two off, and someone's going to have to rise to the occasion because these two teams are my ALCS matchup right now should I pick an ALCS matchup like I did in the NL. And right now, the Astros have the Yankees number. New York hasn't shown they can win on the road at Minute Maid Park in Houston. The Astros pitching to me is deeper, and I trust them more than I trust the Yankees' rotation. The trade deadline acquisitions have struggled in New York, but here's the thing with the Yankees. They have a little bit of wiggle room. They're struggling right now. They just got swept by the Cardinals on the weekend. Andrew Benatendi was like 1 for 23 in his first 6 or 7 games with the Yankees. Frankie Montas did not pitch well in his first game in pinstripes. But you know what? The Yankees have some wiggle room here. As I record this podcast, they're 9 games up on the Jays for the AL East lead. There's only a month and a half left in the season. They have some time. And the Yankees are getting criticized right now for their play, but the reality of the situation is every team in sports has a period like this where they go through a rough patch, where they struggle, things don't go their way. The Yankees are fine. Pause on the criticism. Pause on the panic. 
If they're still playing this poorly in a month from now or three weeks from now, sound the alarm. But they're fine. They're going to get better. Their acquisitions are going to settle in. You know, Andrew Benatendi is going from Kansas City to New York. Frankie Montaz is going from Oakland to New York. Okay, a lot higher expectations in New York than Kansas City and Oakland. A lot higher expectations. They're going to settle in. They're going to be fine. And I still think someone's going to have to go to Yankee Stadium in October, which, like Dodger Stadium, is electric, is hard to play. The fans are behind the team. The team's strong. Aaron Judge is arguably the best player in baseball this year, should be the front runner for MVP. My only question with the Yankees is, can they finally go to Minute Maid and knock off the Astros? Because the Astros are deep on the mound, and they've had the Yankees number for years ever since the Astros rebuilt and became contenders. That's my only question with the Yankees. Other than that, they have a huge lead in the AL East. They have a huge lead over the other teams in the American League. They just got to slow down, pause, regroup, and figure it out, and they got all the time in the world to do that. But can they beat the Astros? That's the biggest question mark to me. (laughs) 